0: This is How to Read. I'm Milan.
1: And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Rita Felsky, a literary critic who also studies aesthetics. This episode is about why we click with art. Why do we click with some works of art and not others? Why does it bother us when we feel deeply connected to a song, painting, movie, or book that our friends don't connect with? Rita Felski uses the word attunement for this process of clicking, and she's interested in how unpredictable it is. It's tempting to try and predict in advance what art you will or won't attune to, but it's important to remember that art always has the potential to surprise you, even years after you first experience it.
0: Rita Felski, welcome.
2: Very nice to talk to you
0: so i understand that you have been thinking about why we get some works of art and not others um and i don't get in quotation marks um for podcast listeners but like what's happening when we do or don't get a particular artwork um so i guess an initial question for me is like um me that feels so instinctive and instant whether i get something or not what do you think is happening um, that we might not be consciously aware of
2: in terms of thinking about that um i've been using this word attunement and now you know attunement is not really a very It's not really a word in in everyday usage. It's not something we commonly say. But what Mm. we do say, you know, as you just indicated, is we talk about getting a work of art. We talk perhaps about being on the same wavelength uh, as a particular writer. We talk about something resonating. We talk Mm. about something being in sync um, so it's that relationship that I'm interested in, you know, where you, you feel you feel something is clicking, right? That you're getting yeah. something. It's making you feel alive. It's it's animating you in some way. It matters to you in some way.
0: So, yeah. So is attunement something that happens at the start of like when you encounter a work of art? Like is it a sort of like preliminary to your experience of it, or does it kind of happen constantly?
2: It can take place uh, in many different ways, you know. So there's no cookie-cutter, you know, definition of getting a work of art. It depends, I think, partly on the reader or viewer's temperament.
1: It could Mm -hmm. depend
2: on, you know, the kind of life they've lived. It could depend on how they encounter the artwork. So there's no one single rule. You know, I mean, for example... um, One thing I'm very interested in is a wonderful um, essay by Zadie Smith that was published in the New Yorker called Notes on Attunement. And she talks there about uh, how she came to love Joni Mitchell, you know, and that's a particularly interesting example Mm. Because of course, like pretty much all of us, at least of a certain age, you know, she she'd heard Joni Mitchell all her life, you know, when she was growing up, um, Mm. and her friends.
0: So so Zadie Smith, I like I know her as a novelist, Mm. but so she's also writing essays. Is that
2: she writes a lot of uh, very nice essays, actually, and this one's a real favorite of mine, and you can Mm. find it on the internet if anyone's interested. Um, And so,
0: for people who don't know who Joni Mitchell is.
2: You know, I mean, Joni Mitchell's a a singer from Canada originally, who's been uh, singing for a long time, you know, kind of folk and jazz. And uh, I remember actually when I was uh, 14, and this is really going back in time, Mm. you know, her album Blue was the the first album. Of course, we had albums in those days that I ever bought. I remember Um... albums.
0: I had the (laughs) first album. Mine was the Spice Girls.
2: Well, they're coming back now, I think, in the sort of retro way. Anyway, you know, uh, Sadie Smith, uh, you know, as a kind of teenager and as a young person going to college, I mean, all her friends knew about Joni Mitchell as a very famous singer. And they're all saying to her, What? You don't like Joni Mitchell? What's wrong with you? And Zadie Smith somehow just doesn't get Joni Mitchell. She thinks, you know, quote, it's a white girl's warbling. Uh, It's an unappealing, shrill sound. She doesn't appreciate the music. You know, she likes Aretha Franklin. She likes Bruce Springsteen. She likes a whole bunch of music, but she doesn't like uh, Joni Mitchell. So there's this strong barrier. And the essay is about the moment, this one particular moment when she's in her 30s, I think, when she undergoes this conversion. And now she says she can't listen to Jonah Mitchell without crying because she finds the music so unbearably beautiful. So I think that's a really interesting example of a a quite dramatic kind of conversion.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's something quite sort of encouraging about that in that like, it's not a once and for all thing. Like if you fail to get attuned to a particular artist or work of art initially, that, might change very suddenly, even like years later, like it's not, it's not something that is fixed forever.
2: Right, exactly. And so, you know, I do think the, the time of aesthetic experience is not the same as clock time, if you like, that it has its own logic Mm. and its own rhythms. Another thing that really interests me, uh, you know, in my thinking about artworks, Mm -hmm. is, you know, all the different things that are involved in, in one's getting an artwork. You know, you know, so for example, in, in the traditional philosophy of art, people often tend to assume, well, you know, the reason you like an artwork, it's because of the artwork, you know, because of the artwork's features, it's beautiful or it's sublime or it's it's ingenious or you know, it's original or whatever, and then it's because it's it's about you, you know, it's about your temperament and your personality and so on. But in fact, there are a whole bunch of other things involved, you know, in those movements of attunement. So in the case of Sadie Smith, it's not a coincidence, she says, that this conversion happened actually when she was at Tinton Abbey in England, you know, looking out through this uh, beautiful ruin and Mm. that you know the uh yeah
0: i've been there it's like a a ruined ruined abbey a ruined church
2: right right so So she's
0: there and that's when she connects with Joni mitchell
2: so that's when she connects and it Ah. it was related both to the visual beauty of the landscape in front of her and her husband was reciting a poem Wordsworth, you know, who who, who wrote about Chintan Abbey, and she's kind of feeling hungry because she wants to, you know, get a, get some food at the at the motorway service station. Anyway, all <laughs> these things are coming together, and they and they yeah. cause this click to happen. You know, lots of different things come together to make these attunements.
0: Yeah, it's funny because it's making me think. Like, that. I think of like, like there there's a movie that I love. I think or at least the the thing that initially connected it to me, the movie Happy-Go-Lucky, and, like, the actress, the main actress in that, Sally Hawkins, just, like, moves her eyes in the exact same way as one of my friends. And so that, for me, was something that, like, as soon as I saw that, like, it wasn't even to do, I think it's a great movie for other reasons, but it wasn't then, the thing that attuned me to it, I think, was something as just coincidental as, like, oh, this reminds me of my friend.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a it does raise really interesting questions. One thing that really interests me, actually, is the relationship with artworks and friends. You know, to what extent our attunement to artworks is shaped by the opinions of our friends, which is something that, again, has not been paid that much attention, but I think is really important.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting, because it's like the people around you, your friends, can influence what you attune to, I guess, that seems right to me. But then also earlier you mentioned how Zadie Smith was at university, I think, and like all of her friends were telling her that she should like Joni Mitchell, but she just didn't. And right, so it's not guaranteed that having friends who are attuned to a specific artwork means that you will be, right?
2: Exactly. And I think that's a really important point um, you know because again one one issue that interests me is um, to what extent can we explain or not explain why people like certain works of art you know so for uh-huh. example, there's a whole um, tradition in in the field of sociology. You know, that really wants to emphasize, for example, social background and demographics so that people do surveys and they can show, not surprisingly, that, I don't know, if you're, I don't know, the the CEO of a company, you're more likely to uh, buy or appreciate Mozart than if you come from a less uh, affluent background. I do think that's important, um, but at the same time... it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee, exactly. So one thing that really interests me is that there is this unpredictable element, you know, uh, that we can't say ahead of time what's going to click and what isn't, and that the usual sociological categories... uh, can't fully explain or predict why something clicks and, and something doesn't and I could give you a, another example here if, if that would be helpful. Well yeah um, wait,
0: but there's, there's an example that I want to share because I feel like it's so perfect which is like in it's in Pretty Woman where Julia Roberts um, who is playing a prostitute is taken to the opera by this very rich man played by Richard Gere and she's sort of absolutely enchanted with it and like appreciates it much more than all of the rich people around even though like socially she's definitely like an outsider and not somebody who it's being put on for and yet she's the one that gets it more than anyone else
2: exactly so but anyway what was
0: what's what was your example
2: yeah so you know the point is to say that you know General categories are useful as gen- general categories, but they can't predict individual response. I don't think really at all. You know, we could say seventy percent of the population might like X, but you can't look at a single individual and say this individual will like X. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually, you know, it's going to give an example. Uh, In fact, for my own life. So uh, there's this British novelist called Kazuo Ishiguro. He's a, certainly a very, uh, you know, a very talented and very accomplished uh, novelist. And so I've read a lot of his. I'd read a lot of his novels in the past, and I had admired them. But being admi- admiring something, I think, is not the same as being attuned to to something. So you know, I, I read these novels, and I went on with my life. You know, and they didn't they didn't really mean that much. Um, and then when I was on a holiday in Germany, I picked up one of his novels that I'd never come across before in a book, so I had no idea what it was about. And I started reading it and I was sucked into the novel and I could not get out. You know, I was supposed to be on holiday with my family. And I just basically sort of sat in the hotel and read the book till it was finished. Um, and then I went on to the internet to, to, because I assumed that everyone would like share my enthusiasm. And then I found out that, you know, New York, New York Times hated it and someone else said it should be thrown into the flames. So that was just so this, was,
0: this was not one of his successful novels.
2: Well, it was less successful at the time. In fact, I think it's now getting a bit more of an uptake. It's a, it's a novel called The Unconsoled. Oh,
0: I've, I've read it. And I I read had, it. Oh, oh, yeah. this is so <laughs> uncanny because so you said you're on holiday in, in Germany.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what I was reading in so Germany. Yeah, so. I
0: read it on an exchange that I did when I was in France for like a week. Oh, okay. And I took it there with me. And yeah, I I don't think I'd read anything else by him, but I was also like enchanted by it.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, it's very uncanny. It's a bit like Kafka or something. It's a very strange world and so it's a fascinating novel. But anyway, you know, the, the point of the example partly is to say to respond to the sociologists, you know. So the sociologists often tend to say, well, the reason you like a certain novel, that I like a certain novel, is because, you know, I come from a certain social background or because the novel's giving me a certain amount of what sociologists call cultural capital. So I could talk about these books at cocktail parties or whatever. But the the, the point there, though, is that I can't explain why all these other novels by Ishiguro left me cold and only this one hit the spot, so to speak, Right. Um, because you know, in terms of status and cultural capital, th- th- those novels are pretty similar, and yet one spoke to me, and the others diff- didn't. And that's where I think the sociological categories reveal their limits. You know, they can't explain the the they can't explain surprise. They can't explain the surprising attunement.
0: Yeah, and in a way, it's even more. Um, you know given that it was apparently quite badly reviewed like it wasn't to your advantage in any kind of like social sense <laughs> to like exactly. this novel right like it wasn't going to be an advantage to you so
2: right um, right <laughs> yeah
0: you're liking it in spite of the the cultural capital or the social capital that it might give you
2: right right of course it's very distressing to find out that people uh, other people don't like things that you like you know it's uh, yeah. that's that's very interesting you know you know going back to the question about friendship you know when you find out a friend doesn't like the 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 novel or the film that you like it can be very very painful and uncomfortable actually because uh, <laughs> these these things matter to us and to our friends
0: yeah um so i remember this is all reminding me of how like in the early days of online dating, I remember talking with (laughs) friends about like, what would be like the deal breaker movie that if somebody put it on their (laughs) profile, you would just immediately rule them out. And I feel like on the one hand, I think you very persuasively argued that like, attunement is unpredictable. It doesn't necessarily line up with your values, with your social, you know, background, all those things. So in a sense, I look back on that and I'm like, okay, how unfair was that? On the other hand, you know, I do have this feeling of like, if somebody puts Requiem for a Dream as their favourite movie, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but to to me, that is still a deal breaker. Um, And so (laughs) I wonder if I can kind of like push you to say like, obviously everything's unpredictable, but is there some work of art that if someone was like this is my favorite this is the one that I resonate with more than anything else you that would be like a red flag for you you'd be like I don't think we can be friends
2: huh I mean maybe Ayn Rand or something
0: <laughs> mm-hmm
2: but beyond that, I mean, I tend to, you know, uh, of course, you know, I have, uh, I mean, not, so I don't listen to much so much music as I used to now as so I've got a lot, lot older, but suddenly when I was younger, you know, there were certain forms of music that I was very strongly attached to, others not. But I would never sort of rule a person out, I think, because, I don't know, they liked heavy metal and I didn't. But I think you are pointing to something real. You know, there was a, there's a wonderful play uh, called Art, in fact, by a, a French playwright called Yasmina Reza. And it's very much about this point. It's about these three middle-aged Frenchmen and their, their pals, you know. And then one of them buys this quite expensive, abstract painting, you know, basically a white uh, canvas with virtually nothing on it. And his mm. friend is so upset because he feels, oh, my gosh, you know, this friend of mine, he's buying modern artworks. He's being, becoming really avant-garde and pretentious. He's not my friend anymore, you know. I can't like someone who likes that painting. Um, so I think that is quite a common feeling, actually, and perhaps I'm a bit of an outlier <laughs> You're in just that a regard. better
0: person than all of us.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um... Well, Rita Felski, thank you very much.
2: You're welcome. It's good to talk about these issues. <laughs> Could talk endlessly.
1: That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to two bonus clips. One in which Rita discusses how we attune not only to artworks, but also to people. And another in which she explains why people attune even to art that's very bleak.
0: To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at HowToReadNow. This episode was produced by me, Milanta Lunan.
1: And by me, Olivia Branscombe.
0: With editorial assistance from me, Colby
2: King.
1: And from me... Eleanor Roth-Hessen. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening.